Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Ready to quote scripture or something, you know, like it has a halo on. And you immediately love the, the other Isles baby more than your own. And truth be known, and you're like, what is this? And I tell them, you cannot define a baby in the moment. Because next week when you go to Walmart, yours may have a halo, and that one may be speaking in some demonic language, okay? Uh, it's just true. And, and like when we have baby dedication, I get to talk to these people, yeah, my little girl, she's did, my little boy, he did this. Tomorrow, if we would have had it next week, it would have been the other one. So it's beautiful that we get to participate and see life like this. And so in keeping with baby dedication, as God would have it, uh, we're still in the book of Revelation in chapter 3, and uh, you thought you weren't going to get a sermon. Yeah, that, that's not true, okay? Uh, Revelation chapter 3, uh, we're wrapping up the, the second part of the outline that God has given, that Jesus gave. He said, right... What you have seen, that's the Lord Jesus, that's chapter 1, and it's the glorified, resurrected Jesus. And then he said, I want you to write the things which are. That is the church age. That is the life of the church from its inception until Christ returns for the church. And then beginning in chapter 4, uh, which we'll start in just a few weeks, he says, now I want you to write the things which will be after this. And that is the end times after the church is removed. That's what we believe as a... Uh, uh, as a premillennialist, as a pre-tribulation rapture believer. And you may differ from that, and that's quite all right. Uh, but what we're going to look at today is the next church. Now, we've seen these churches um, throughout uh, the inception of the church and how they, it, it, it devolves as a church. It started out on fire, man. It was full of Jesus, madly, passionately in love with the Lord Jesus. And then Ephesus was the church, the cold-hearted church. They lost their love for the church. And churches often do that. And then it, it digressed. It moved to the church at Smyrna, which was the suffering church. This is the church when you take your eyes off of the Lord Jesus as an individual or as a church. You begin to look at your own sufferings and your own hurt. And because you, you didn't notice it near as much, you were hurting and suffering then. But when your eyes are on Jesus, it changes the way you suffer even. And so the, the, the church at Smyrna was the suffering church. Well, then when you start looking at your own suffering, then we move to the church at Perth. Pergamum, which is the compromised church. Because when you're suffering as a believer, as a church, and you take your eyes off Jesus, that's when the enemy comes in and he says, listen, I know you're hurting. If you do this and this, it'll comfort your pain. It'll ease the hurt. And so we compromise our faith. We, we stop, uh, we, we move away from God and we look for, uh, 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 we look for what only God can bring in outside sources. And then it moved to the church at Thyatira. Ultimately, when you consider outside things, when Jesus stops being enough for you, then you move to a place of unfaithfulness, that you just embrace things that are not what Christ has for our life. Last week then, we saw the church at Sardis, which is the dead church. It looked like it was alive, but Jesus puts an indictment on it. And he says, you look alive, you think you're alive, but you are dead. We don't want to be that church. Now today, we find an interesting church. It's the church 
of Philadelphia. We don't know a lot historically about the church at Philadelphia. What we do know is it's located on a mountain looking at a valley. We know that it was known for promoting the Greek culture and the Greek language. We know that, uh, that it, it was completely destroyed in, eight, in AD 17 by uh, earthquake because it was on a, an active volcano. So it had gone through hard times. We know it's not in a big city. It's a very small city. It's not a big church. It's a very small church. The church at Philadelphia, though, we can learn a whole lot about the name. You see, Philadelphia begins with a word for love in the Greek called phileo, phileo. Now, in our language, we have one word for love, and it is love. In the Greek language, there's several. There's storge love, which is a love for something that naturally makes you love it. If you couldn't see these babies and your heart be warmed and you just say, yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. Then you're the tin man. You need to go hunt for your heart. I'm just saying, okay? So, so things that make you naturally want to love them, like a baby would. That's storge love. There's eros love, which is an erotic sexual love, can be a perverted love. And then there's um, agape love. That's a God love, he, a self-giving, self-sacrificing love. That's agape love. Well, then also on the list of Greek loves, there is this word, phileo. It is a... It is a um, brotherly, affectionate kind of love. And that is who this church is. So I call the church at Philadelphia the friendly church. I call the church at Philadelphia the church that knew how to love well. Okay, And something happens in a church that knows how to love well. And in today's uh, uh, letter to the church at Philadelphia, we're going to see it. Join me in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Revelation. It says, to the angel, or the leader, the spokesman, the pastor, of the church in Philadelphia, write the following. And so he's gonna, he has a, a particular letter for this church. Now, now, already you know it's a significant church, whether it's being commended or condemned, it has the eye and the attention of Jesus Christ. And so he's writing this church, this letter now to a very small church, which makes it interesting that he would, that he would uh, uh, yield scripture and his word and a letter to this little bitty church. Now, he, J Dr. Jesus is going to show up and give a physical exam as we've looked at in all of the other churches. We're going to see it here. So here's what he says now. He says, this is the solemn pronouncement of the Holy One, the true one, who holds the key of David, who opens the doors and no one can shut, and shuts the doors and no one can open. Jesus wants the church at Philadelphia. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants the church at Sturkey Hills to know this. Jesus is the Holy One. Holy meaning he is 100% eternally outside of blemish, sinfulness, or error. He is perfect. That's where this is coming from. And then he goes on, he says, not only is it from the Holy One, it is from the true one in a world of partial truths, in a world of lies, in a world of politics, in a world that we live in, there is one who stands above that, and he is holy, and he is true. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So he's true. Now, <clears throat> isn't it good to know that in the world where you, you get all these mixed signals from people, where people waver from one side to the other, and they talk in, in, in twisted truth, isn't it good to know that there's a God who cannot tell a lie? That when you open up his word, even when it rubs the fur in the wrong direction, and you don't really like what it says, it is emphatically true. Because it has no option. God has no option. He doesn't think, am I going to tell the truth today? 
Yeah, I think I will. No, he, he cannot lie. It is not in him to tell anything that is not true. Now he goes on, he says, not only am I holy, not only am I true, I also have in my hand this thing. I got, I got, I got the keys, okay? I, got, I, I have the keys, okay? There's a place where we all would like to go one day. It's called heaven. And in, in a good old America, pretty much everybody's going to heaven, you know? If you don't believe the pastor, just go ask them. Do you believe when you die that there's an ever after somewhere? Most people still agree. Yeah, I believe there is. Are you going to go to heaven with God or are you going to go to hell and be tormented for your sin? Oh, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Because nobody wants to, to admit the reality of hell. And then you can ask them this great question. So, so let's just say, you know, a meteor falls out of the sky right now before we uh, finish this conversation. Kills us both and we stand before God today and he asks us, Okay, I've been watching your life. Why should I let you into my heaven as opposed to sending you to hell? And here's what you get. Well, I did more good things than I did bad things. Well, I went to church some when I was a kid. My dad was a preacher. You know, my mama played the piano. I mean, you, you, you'd be amazed how many answers you get outside of this one simple truth. Well, Jesus Christ died on a cross and his blood of sacrifice has forgiven my sin. And Jesus is the Lord of my life. Seldom you hear it. Let me tell you something. Jesus says, I hold the key. Now, this is a reference to the Old Testament. Uh, um, Eliakim was a faithful servant of King Hezekiah. And he gave him the keys to the kingdom and to the treasury. Nobody could get in the kingdom. Nobody could get in the treasury apart from going through Eliakim. He held the key. And I want to tell you something. God has entrusted Jesus, his son, with the key. And, and, and we live in a world where, where um, we, we, we want to like compromise that. We want to listen to somebody on television, whether it's, uh, uh, it doesn't matter, it could be Oprah Winfrey or whoever it is. It's, well, I just think there's more ways to heaven than one. Well, you can believe that. You can believe that monkeys can fly. You know, you, you can believe that squirrels live in the ocean. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But God's word, which is true, always says there's one way, and his name is Jesus. And he holds the key. And if you want to get into the door of heaven, it comes through Jesus who holds the key. Now, he says, not only do I hold the key, I'm the one who operates the door. He says, I am the door operator. And if I open the door, man, it's good. If I close the door, you're not coming in. And so he says, the door that I open, no man can shut. The door that I close, no man can open. So here's what it looks like for you as an individual Christian, searching out the will of God in your life. Because we've all done that, I hope, at some point. Well, what is it God wants me to do? College students do it. You know, they start getting ready to graduate. God, what do you want me to do? You know, you don't have to worry about it. He's got it all under control. You don't have to sweat it, okay? It's all going to work out. Uh, I, I can look around, and I know, I know hundreds and hundreds of college graduates, and they're all working if they want to. Okay, we, we worry about things sometimes when God has it all in control. I remember when our girls were little, and uh, Kendra was worried because they were wet in the bed a little late in life, you know? I mean, they weren't 17. You know, they were like five. They were like three and five. And Kendra's like, we go to the pediatrician. and He says, any, any concerns or worries? Yeah, they're still wet in the bed, so. And he said, have you tried not giving them something to drink late at night? Yeah, we did. Have you tried not giving them caffeine? Yeah, we did. Um, have you 
being sure they go to the bathroom before they go to bed. Yeah? He said, okay, sounds good. He said, so let me ask you a question. He asked Kendra and me. He said, so uh, do you know any adults other than maybe senior, senior adults who still wet the bed? She said, no. And he said, they won't either. They'll grow out of it. Okay. And I'm sitting there saying, yeah. Because I'd been saying that, you know. It's like, yeah, it's good to be right once in a million years. Okay. Now, here's the thing. The same thing is true with God. He is the one who opens the door. He'll open your doors. Adults, he'll open your doors. But listen, he'll close some doors too. And as a church, I want to tell you something that I'm delighted about this church. God has opened the door. I mean, look, look in here today. Four and a half years ago, there was, there was about a, uh, there, four and a half years ago, there was, there were 60 or 70. And then there was uh, about 150 we saw last week. And, and today there's, on our campus, there's about, both services, about 450 people. So God has opened the door. He, what he does is this. He says, he says, a church, there's homeless, hungry people under the bridge. And I'm going to provide you an option for a free trailer where you can give them showers and provide a meal for them. And he presents it, and we pray, and we just feel like this is what we're supposed to do. We don't have any resources to fund it. We step through that open door, and on the other side of that open door is everything we need to accomplish what he has placed in our heart. Just a couple of years ago, 2016, we felt like God was growing the church, and we needed another way to get in and out of here as opposed to the gauntlet right down here on this end of the church, you know. And we have a senior adult group, and, you know, when they pull out, sometimes they pull out real slow in an S curve, and, and I didn't want some speedy teenager coming around through there and, and hitting one of our senior adults because that speedy teenager would die because those older people, they're tough. They're still around, okay? So I was worried about the teenagers. So we said, we need to put another road in, and, and God allowed us to put a road in. We went to a second service and started with about 30, and this morning I think there was 120 or so. So, so God has given us an open door. He's letting us see people saved. He's letting us see people following baptism. He's allowing us to do missions. My goodness, we have people right now in Kenya, Africa, my daughter and son-in-law, two of them. We have people in Ghana, Africa, Richard and Emily Akakpo. We have people uh, in Malaysia. We have people in Brazil. We, next year, we will take a team to Brazil, a team to, hopefully to Africa, a team to Honduras. We have people in Honduras. And yesterday, we did our first Families on Mission, and all we did was, was announce it, and we had about 35 people, including babies in wraps. I call it the kangaroo pouch. Down there working, being the hands and feet of Jesus, listen to me, church. God has opened a door before us. And we, what do we do? How, how, do, we, how do we maintain an open door that Jesus has swung open for us? Well, he tells us. He, he tells us in his prescription, he, excuse me, he tells us in his prognosis as a doctor. I want you to notice something. There is no prescription. There is no condemnation. There's only two churches of the seven that do not find con condemnation by Jesus. It is the suffering church at Smyrna, and it is the church that loved well, the church of Philadelphia. He does not rebuke them. He says, you got this going on, but man, you're messing this all up. He does not say that. He only has positive words. So what is it that makes Jesus think so highly of this little church in this pagan land located on this pagan world? Well, he, he, he tells us in the following verse, he says, he says, um, he says, verse 8, I know your deeds. Look, I have put in front of you an open door. 
and no one can shut it. And I just love that. I just love that. Nobody can shut what Jesus opens. And he has swung it wide. He says, I know that you have a little strength, but you, here it is, listen church, you have obeyed my word and you have not denied my name. You want to know what the church looks like, that the door is open and that Jesus does not rebuke? It's a church that obeys his word and the church that proclaims his name. And let me be the first to say, if you ever hear a pastor up here, this one or whoever God puts here, and he does not proclaim and lift up the name of Jesus Christ, you're on the front end of a door that's getting ready to slam in your face. But when we as a church start to obey God's word and proclaim and lift up his name and talk about Jesus like we're proud to be part of the kingdom and proud that, the, that God himself put strapped on flesh, came to this earth and died on a cross for your sin and for my sin. And now he has rescued me from my sinful condition, placed his seal of his Holy Spirit upon my life, calls me a child of his, and has provided an eternal home for me. When we start getting back to being excited about what Jesus has done in our life. Listen, Jesus is going to say, man, that's, I like that because you're talking about me more than you're talking about you. I'm opening up this door because you know who to talk about. Amen. Amen, brother Joel. Now, now, so we get the pro proclamation, right? We're talking about Jesus. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Talk about Jesus, man. You talk about everything else. You talk about everything else. Talk about Jesus. He's the greatest thing that's ever happened to the universe, okay? So that's the half of it. The other half of it is obey his word. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? Because honestly, I could say, well, here's how you do it. What is his word? It's the Bible, okay? Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. John tells us in 1 John, he says, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, he says, in the beginning is the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Then he goes down in verse 14 or 11 or 14. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the father. Jesus is the word. Obey Jesus. You say, well, how do I know what it is he's wanting me to do? You get in his word. You pray. You seek him out. Okay. So, so, okay, so you go pick up your Bible. Well, Brother Joel, I picked it up yesterday and started reading Genesis. I just don't know how to obey the creation account, okay? I, I started reading in the book of Leviticus. I just don't know how to obey that. Listen, I'm going to make it real simple because Jesus made it real simple. Why? Because he, know, he knows that in, in spite of what you think about your mental capacity, Jesus, when he created you, he knew how simple-minded you were. And so as sophisticated as you want to be, as sophisticated as we want to huddle up and have these little holy huddles and talk about big God-sized uh, God things like sovereignty and free will and creation, was it six literal days or a gap theory of a billion years and, and this and that and the other thing, the whole time that we're having these little theological debates and battles, there's a world out there that's lost that don't know Jesus and they're dying and going to a place called hell. That's what Jesus said. And so how do we know what it is he wants us to do? Jesus made it simple. It's called the great commandment. You remember this? The, 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 the Pharisees, the religious people, so bright, they, they were trying to stump Jesus. They said, hey, Jesus, Mr. Rabbi, the one that knows everything, says you're God. Um, what's the greatest commandment? I'm going to try to get him to pick one. And he gives a great answer. He says, oh, the greatest commandment? Oh, it's easy. He said, the first is this, to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second 
is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says you can hang all of the law, all of the prophets on this thing right here, and you'll please God. He made it so simple. So here it is. What does it mean to obey God, church, so that Jesus will be delighted in us and keep the door open before us? It means this. We love God with everything, and we love the people around us as much as we love our stinking self. You know, we, you know we love ourselves more than we love anybody else on the planet. If you're married, you know you love yourself more than your spouse. Crickets. Okay? Guilty is charged right there. When it gets quiet, guilt has settled in. All right? It's easy to love ourselves. It's, it's easy to look over our own mistakes and flaws and to find them in it. That's not what Jesus, Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself and love God with everything. And so that's what's on the inside. That's what's in our heart, okay? We love God with everything. We love people around us like we love ourselves. So then what does it look like? Because that's what it feels like. What does it look like? Jesus made it easy again. He gave us the great commission. In Matthew 28, he says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Listen, church, this is, I'm going to give you theology made easy. I'm going to give you church made easy, Christianity made easy, pastoring made easy. easy. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Proclaim the name of Jesus every time you get the opportunity, and he will open doors in your life. Now listen to me. Why, is this, why do I think this is amazing that God would provide this message as we navigate through Revelation on Baby Dedication Day? Because here's why it is. If you're a parent of a small child, raise your hand. Yeah. If you're a grandparent of a small child, raise your hand. If you know a small child, raise your hand. For the rest of you, I'm going to pray for you. Okay, here's the deal. The way God has established life, he allows babies to be given into our life. And I'm telling you, these small children, there's an open door into their life. There's an open door. They believe you. They watch you. They listen to you. They value what you, you are to them like God. They want to see God in you. It's like the nation of Israel. Moses was God's representation to them. You as parents and me as a grandparent, I'm, I'm, I'm to be God's representation to them. And so while their little doors are open, we just, we just invest Jesus in there, man. We just love them in Jesus' name. We point them to God. We point them to Jesus. We talk them. I mean, let me tell you what it looks like. You start having little kids with that you wonder if they're ever going to say Jesus. They're ever going to pray for their food. I went to a, a, a Halloween party, and they asked a little boy to say a prayer. Karen, how old are they? Four, five. And they asked one of the little boys over there if he had said a prayer. And he said the prayer, man. And then they said, now we're going to get... Brother Joel say the prayer. I said, I can't trump that. Man, he went straight in the throne room. That's what a little baby, little boy does. I've told the story. It's what Caitlin and Kelsey, when they were little, I think it was Caitlin or Kelsey, whichever one it was, they had a stomach ache. Daddy, I need to pray for my stomach. It's hurting. I said, let's pray for your stomach. Man, we prayed, and we finished praying. Amen. I was getting ready to turn around. They said, Daddy, uh, my stomach still hurts. See, they, they, they thought when you went to Jesus, man, that he answered, bam, right there. And I said, and, and. And I was like, oh, Jesus, give me a good answer here, okay? 
So I said, I'll tell you what. I bet by morning the Lord Jesus will have healed your little stomach. And she said, okay. So can you think you can go to sleep? I can. I went outside and I said, you got to help me on this one. Okay, we're, I'm counting on you big right here. Okay. Be God. I'm like, you know, Elijah, go do, you know. I mean, that's what I felt like, you know. So, so here's, here's the thing. Why? Because they're watching you. And if your car is going down the road, you know, listen to the hanky swanky whatever, you know, something goofy something, they're hearing that. And it's okay. I'm not condemning that. That's between you and Jesus. But if, you're, if your car is filled with Jesus, your conversations are filled with Jesus, and you got your little boys and girls, man, you're taking them to church and, and developing in them a pattern for life, I'm telling you, the little doors are open, and you're investing in those little doors. But listen to me. There's a day coming, and it happens quickly when those little doors start closing. Okay? It happens a lot when they get them. You think when they're three. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You wait till they're 13. Okay? You'll be like Hannah, ready to take them down and drop them off at the church. Okay? While the doors are open, church, parents, grandparents, neighbors, and friends, let's invest what lasts for an eternity in their little life. And it will not come back void because that's what the scripture says about itself. Jesus said he's building his church and, and he does it however he wants to. Now, let's talk about this church at Philadelphia. I believe it's called the Church of Philadelphia because it was a church that loved well. I believe it was a friendly church. I believe if we could go back in time, the church would be like, you know, you pull up to it and they've got a special guest parking for camels and donkeys up front, you know. You can bring your wagon right up front if you're a guest, you know. We got that. Okay, we do that. I believe when you walked in the door, you just, you all but smelled the friendliness. I mean, it's just like, and I have people tell me that. They'd say, I say, hey, thanks for visiting our church. You know, you tell me anything about your church. Yeah, your church is like sickly friendly. I mean, just all over us, you know. And we live in a world of germaphobes. You know, people are like, oh, stand off. Oh, don't touch me. I'm going to get something, you know. But for some reason, when they come here, they feel, they feel welcome to love. I believe that's the church of Philadelphia looked like that. Let me tell you how much this church loves its guest. Usually on Sunday morning, they save all of the front row seats for the guest. Every one of them. We have a big crowd today. Some of these guys love y'all. Y'all sitting right in front. Special game right there. Perfect. But usually, Kyle and Marie, y'all faithful up front. Usually they save these for the guests because they love the guests. All right? Now, here, here's, here's the thing. Our church must maintain a position. Our families, your pastor, your leadership, we must maintain a position where we obey his word and we proclaim his name. And you say, well, Brother Joel, you talk about things all the time. You just want to build a big church. I want to, whatever. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm with him. And if he wants to and chooses to build a big church, whatever. I do not care about that. I do not care. What I care is whatever he wants to build, I want him to be able, be able to have the freedom to build. I want him to be able to trust a group of people to do whatever he wants to do. If it's a big church, whatever. I, don't, I want him to do what he wants to do with or without me. And candidly, with or without you. I just want him to be able to do, have the freedom to build what he wants to build. And we just let him go to it because always, always, always what he wants to do is bigger than anything you or I can even imagine. So, so I believe that's what God is doing. Now, 
So, so, so we know what it feels like. That's the great commandment. Love God, love others. We, we're looking at what it uh, looks like, and that is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, so let, and we're almost finished. Let me tell you what that looks like in the next year. We, we will send people to Africa, hopefully, Honduras, hopefully, Brazil, hopefully. Um, we'll do more families on mission. Um, we will do, uh, we'll have trips all over the world because we're reaching out. But if we are not good at being good missionaries where we are, we will never be a good missionary somewhere else. There's people say, oh, yeah, I want to yeah, go to Honduras and be a missionary. You, you don't even know who your neighbor is, where you live. You hadn't told anybody about Jesus. You don't even come to church faithfully. Why do you think Jesus would use you in Honduras or Africa? Okay? So it starts here and it goes beyond. That's what the Great Commission looks like. And I want to challenge our church with these babies that we saw today. It's the beginning of what God is doing in the life of our church as long as we keep obeying his word and proclaiming his name. Join me in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to know today, Jesus loves you so much that he died on a cross to save you. And if you had to do it all over again, he'd do it again just for you. And I want you to know today, if you're on the outside of his kingdom, looking in, and maybe you feel a void in your life, you know it's there, and you're trying to fill it with success or maybe substance or whatever it is, relationship, trying to fill that void, and it just doesn't seem to work. It's because God has placed in you a hole that can only be filled by him. And it only is filled when we simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I believe you love me anyway. I don't fully get that, but I believe it. And God, right now, I feel in my heart that Jesus is inviting me, drawing and calling me into this place where I can be restored and forgiven. So I want you to come into my life right now. I, I confess that I'm a sinner. I repent and change my mind, and I want to turn toward you on this day. I give myself to you. I receive your gift to me. Thank you for saving somebody like me. Thank you for inviting me into your forever, eternal kingdom. Help me move forward, living for you, obedient to your word, proclaiming your name. In Jesus' name, amen.